gotta get free. Well, welcome everyone. Today, we're gonna have a little bit of fun. So I am going to test the waters and at the same time, uh, live stream on YouTube um, and I'm premiering it there in, let me see how many minutes, 16 more minutes. Um, it is a prelude of what is actually happening and coming. Uh, and the, uh, how will I say this? To understand the gravity of the situation, sometimes you have to start at the beginning. So we're going to start at the beginning. And I believe all of you will find it quite interesting because there's a lot of lies about spies and, and so on and so on. So it's important that all of us kind of get our ducks in a row. And I guess I'm pulling a card out of the ancient civilization's hat. Uh, you know, while I take these few minutes, I just wanted to earwig a notion. As we understand, we cannot definitively put our hands down and say that that which has been published and or stated for centuries may or may not be real. And for those of you that love literature, I would highly suggest getting your hands on a copy of Homer's Odyssey and understand uh, how he portrays what he calls sirens. Now, uh, sirens can mean many things, as we know. They're um, the voice of alarm. And uh, in mythology, they were winged beings with a female face like the Sphinx. Uh, so outside of Greek and Roman, we have the Egyptians citing the same thing. Uh, sirens, 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 frequencies, and Getting pulled out of the matrix is what you'll gather when you think of history and what you are seeing now in regards to the sounding of alarms. Oh, women, they must be, uh, how do I say, not glorified, but you got to pay them props, especially when the feds aren't looking. Please enjoy this prelude. When I think of the word woman... I think of water, and light, and fire. There is a feeling, an essence, that transcends understanding. We are inexplicably abstract, and unapologetically beautiful. And when we work together, when I think of the word woman, we are unstoppable. I think of water and light, and fire. There is a feeling, an essence, that transcends understanding. We are inexplicably abstract, and unapologetically beautiful. And when we work together, we are unstoppable. Long before I met you, I was a woman And long after you're gone, I'll be one still It's the part of who I am that can't be stolen So if you came to see me break, I never will 
Cause my heart don't beat for anyone But me, myself and I And when the curtains close on you and me I'll be fine, fine, fine Cause I'm a woman I'm a woman Woman Key you know, and you know, the whole power of the FBI and still nothing, almost like the SCOTUS leak, still nothing. It's not like a lot of people work for her anyway. I mean, it's, it's getting ridiculous. All of us are kind of like, this is all a show. And indeed it is. But I think anger is necessary not a lot of people are understanding the dynamics of actually what's going on here. So I think uh, it's important that we do. So I'm going to try this. I'm going to be sharing the premiere on YouTube. Uh, nothing says Showtime than that outfit he wore. I thought, why not? That should be the cover. For those on Locals, you'll have access to this video. For those on YouTube, you won't. There is a lot to unpack within that. And this is all about lies and spies. On my last show, the last, one of the last things I said was, hmm, isn't it interesting how South Korea is claiming that all these leaks about Ukraine and other things are fake news? quite fascinating that no one clocked on to that. And now, I mean, tell me something's not authentic without telling me it's not authentic. I think this is kind of like, tell me who the pipe bomber is without telling me who the pipe bomber is. Tell me, happy Air Force Reserve Day, happy Quantum Day, and happy Fasting and Prayer Day too. All those in one. I think... What President Trump said today is quite fascinating, too, but we'll cover that after we get into our Happy Air Force Reserve and Quantum Day. I want to say so much more, hmm. but instead, you know, instead of saying something, let me show you something. Hold on. Whoops. Give me a moment. Take a look here. Give me a second. I think I should show this. There we go. Okay. Where's my tweets? Give me a second. Am I sharing this? I really need a producer. <laughs> One day. Oh, here we go. I asked him nicely this morning. Hey, Representative Raskin, we have you dead to rights. I want to know how the Department of Justice is allowing domestic terror cells like the ones Nadine runs to be funded by USAID. How do you wash the money? care to share. It's taking me a minute. Still trying to figure it out, you guys. It's been a while. Only nailed down the former counsel for treasury that cooks the books. But how? If you confess, it'll be easier than what he's going through right now. Now, I found out how they cook their books and how they bring in the money from Soros and et cetera, et cetera. But I still haven't figured out how they're funneling federal tax dollars. It's blowing my mind. It's got to be something creative, something that I haven't thought of. 
but I'm pretty sure I will at some point, right? I'll think of it. It'll come to me. It'll definitely come to me. Because these people are just not good people. What you're about to see will anger you, but I think the more angering part of this is the fact that your uh, right-wing media didn't report it. Now, as you guys know, back in August of 2020, Shadowgate was released. That was actually banned on YouTube, Twitch, and Twitter worldwide. They actually hunted anyone who had portions of that video down and deleted it. A few weeks later, Millie put out the sunrise calls. And we put out the Zoom calls. Then we put out the SCOTUS calls. All these federal employees using your federal tax dollars to conduct and execute whatever agenda they want. In fact, you're going to see the people that we had on tape talking about a coup and how they were slowing down the government. Because while many of you sit there from your lawn chairs or couches or, you know, on your phones where you think you know what's going on and, oh, it's just this bad guy around President Trump, this is where you're going to see the systemic issues, okay? The systemic issues are the fact that when they needed to fire people, they would slow walk it. The the systemic issues are when a policy needed to be implemented that President Trump wanted, they didn't implement it, or they took their time, or they challenged it with questions, all within the goalposts, making sure they can walk that line. But then the question lies in, in these alleged activists group, Why are there federal employees recruiting others and having all of these retreats? Now, while the Sunrise Movement is one of youth and weird granola munchers, the federal one is actually called the Tacoma Park Mobilization Group. It's based out of Maryland. Do you remember when Scalise was shot? That's right. The group organized that. Do you guys see how many times they harass the Supreme Court justices of the United States? It's the same group. Oh, I guess this started, so let's go. We're going to watch it live together. All right, let's go. I hope you enjoy this. After that, I'll see you guys right here. These pillars are holding up the government, like my fingers are holding up this book. And I develop a strategy to undermine each of those pillars, the police, the, the, uh, the sangha or the religious institutions, the workers, whatever, every organization. And as they weaken and start to collapse, the government will collapse when those pillars are broken. Ideally, we want those pillars not destroyed but transferred over to the democratic movement. Half hour. Um, so presuming that's true, I'm guessing they want us to stop at 9.15, which would give us 15 minutes to reconvene if we're supposed to wrap up at 9.30. I don't know if that was the plan or not. Um, well, I'm not sure if other folks are gonna be joining this breakout group, but let's just get started briefly with some introductions. Um, So I'll be the facilitator for this session. My name's Rachel, and um, I'm actually not a federal employee, um, but I 
close friends with a bunch of people who are and coordinate this call. So I'm happy to kind of be able to, to guide and facilitate this conversation, but you all are going to be the ones with um, the ideas here. Um, and I'm just here to kind of like make sure that we're hitting the main points we want to, take some notes and um, get us on the right track. So to get started, let's just do a quick round of introductions. Um, you can share whatever information you're comfortable with um, and leave out whatever you're not comfortable with. If you don't even want to say your name, just, I don't know, like tell us your, your favorite like dessert or something. Um, but I'll start. Uh, my name's Rachel. As I mentioned, I'm not in an agency. I'm not a Fed. Um, I work on renewable energy and I'm pretty involved in coordinating some work with Shutdown DC and a couple of other um, ways to uh, defend democracy after the election. And I'll, uh, I'll pass it on to Mr. J. And then one half hour. Um, so presuming that's true, I'm guessing they want us to stop at 9.15, which would give us 15 minutes to reconvene if we're supposed to wrap up at 9.30. I don't know if that was the plan or not. Um, well, I'm not sure if other folks are going to be joining this breakout group, but let's just get started briefly with some introductions. Um, so I'll be the facilitator for this session. My name's Rachel, and um, I'm actually not a federal employee, um, but I'm close friends with a bunch of people who are and coordinated this call. So I'm happy to kind of be able to, to guide and facilitate this conversation, but you all are going to be the ones with um, the ideas here. Um, and I'm just here to kind of like make sure that we're hitting the main points we want to, take some notes and um, get us on the right track. So to get started, let's just do a quick round of introductions. Um, you can share whatever information you're comfortable with um, and leave out whatever you're not comfortable with. If you don't even want to say your name, just, I don't know, like tell us your, your favorite like dessert or something. Um, but I'll start, uh, my name's Rachel. As I mentioned, I'm not in an agency. I'm not a Fed. Um, I work on renewable energy and I'm pretty involved in coordinating some work with Shutdown DC and a couple of other um, ways to uh, defend democracy after the election. And I'll, uh, I'll pass it on to Mr. J. And then once you've gone, you can pass it on to somebody else. Uh, my name is Joel. Uh, I am a federal employee, but I don't, I'm not part of the executive branch. I'm one of those quasi government things that reports directly to Congress. So in some respects, my, my job is maybe a little safer, but I want to learn what's going on in other agencies and how I can support my favorite, favorite dessert is vanilla ice cream. And then we'll go to, uh, um, Laura Robb. Hey guys, my name is Laura. I am also a, um, a federal contractor rather than a federal employee. I spent three and a half years um, as a contractor at DHS HQ, which then became CISA, the Cyber and Infrastructure Security Agency. Um, and I've recently finished that contract and I just started at FDA. So I still have connections to the Fed team that I worked with at DHS. And I now have a, a very large network of um, FDA employees. And so I'm just sort of looking to see what behaviors I can model for my Fed clients um, and ways that I can be supportive uh, of them. And just sort of how can I make suggestions to anybody who expresses to me that they want to do something but don't know what, what that would be to, to be helpful. So 
And I will pass it to uh, Comrade Locke, whose name I may be mispronouncing. <laughs> That's fine. I'm, I'm Josh, it's nice to meet you all. I'm a federal employee for almost five years now. It's not my life. Um, I had a career before it and will probably soon, soon start a new one uh, outside of the federal government. Um, I don't know what else I should say at this point, except for that I am seeing a lot of abuse happening right now. And, uh, and you know, I've gotten into a little bit of trouble myself. Um, and my favorite dessert is those, you know, one pound Belgian chocolate bars at Trader Joe's. And then do you want to pass it on to one of the other folks in the yeah, chat? Yeah, I guess to Susan. Susan, if you're speaking, you're on mute. If not, Susan. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, if Susan's not responding, then Molly, I guess. I thought I heard Susan for a second. I don't want to jump on. Looks like her sound may not be working at the moment. Is my sound working? Yeah, we can hear you, Molly. Okay. All right. Well, um... Okay, yeah, so I see Susan in the chat saying that her sound isn't working. All right. Um, well, I am, I guess I'm Molly, and um, <laughs> I've been a federal employee in a couple of different services uh, for about 28 years, and I work in the national security community, and um, I just, I tell people that my you know, oath to the Constitution is about the only thing I've managed to be faithful to for my entire life. And, you know, I am just really nervous about what's going to happen. So, and my favorite dessert is probably those weird little like mochi cakes with red bean filling. I love those. <laughs> and do you want to pass it on to somebody who hasn't spoken yet? Okay, yeah, that's right. I see that Susan likes pumpkin pie and um, she's trying to figure out her mic and um, I will pass on to B in the meantime. Thanks. Uh, hi guys, I am B. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I am not currently a federal, federal worker. However, I am um, in the process of searching for a new job and have been applying to a lot of federal jobs. So I figured, you know, be prepared before I get into it rather than having to figure it out afterwards. And I also do a lot of work with Shutdown DC and other groups. Um, and because I can't be in the streets right now, I was injured at a protest uh, about two months ago. So my job right now in all of my different organizations is collecting information and disseminating it to people who need it. So I also wanted to come here and just kind of get a sense of, of you know, how I can help the people that are my contacts who are also federal workers who couldn't be here tonight. Um, and my favorite dessert is anything I get to make myself because I used to be a pastry chef. Um, and I'll pass it to, um, has Mr. J gone? Or am I the last Amy one? might be the only person who hasn't gone. Amy, okay. All right, I will pass it to Amy. Thanks. Hi, I'm Amy. Um, I work in a, I am a federal employee and um, have only been in Fed for the last 18 months or so, um, and have you know had some conversations with my other coworkers, um, expressing some concern about what's going to happen next week. 
Um, so wanted to come here today in part to um, be a conduit for information kind of along the lines of the uh, and um, also just sort of channel some of my nervous energy around everything. Well, um, Susan, if your mic does work, feel free to just chime in if you want to introduce yourself. Um, I noticed I forgot to say my favorite dessert. Um, if you've ever been to Bowtie, they have this fantastic uh, sticky rice, mango sticky rice. I love it. Um, it's definitely up there for me. Um, so the next thing that we're going to be doing um, is discussing some scenarios. So I am going to drop them in the chat right now. Um, I don't know if you guys got this. I, I dropped the agenda in the chat and then this is also a portion of it where we're going to observe some of the scenarios. And um, again, like I said, I'm not a Fed. Um, I don't work for the government. So I'm mostly just here to facilitate y'all's conversation and gather your ideas. Um, and I just put them in there. So um, if you wanna take a look at number one, we can um, then discuss uh, different things around that. So I'll just read that out loud. Your leadership is asking staff to, uh, to draft false official statements, talking points, communiques, et cetera, for a foreign domestic audience, saying that Trump won, claiming that protests are violent and illegitimate, illegitimate uncounted mail-in ballots are fraudulent, and that the Democrats are staging a coup. So that's um, scenario number one. Um, so given this, um, let's talk about what actions and decisions are in your immediate sphere of influence as um, somebody who works in the government. And I'll take some notes. Just let me know if um, my typing is too loud. Yeah. I, I just recommend everyone who works in the federal government, if you read the mainstream press, like who is covering your agency, who is working for ProPublica, who is working for Politico, um, they all have signal accounts. Text them, leak everything you can, save your emails, record. I record these meetings. I send it over. I, and I can't believe I'm showing my face here, but I've been doing this for months. And if you do have to write something, write something with really crappy, you know, just unintelligible, ungrammatical language to just make them look terrible. And it will look like something that comes from this administration anyway, but. <laughs> Um, and to your first point, um, I know we talked a little bit about whistleblower protections. Um, do you have any sense of like what is and isn't um, covered when you're kind of like leaking things to a place like ProPublica over Signal or anything like that? I, I mean, again, and I sort of prefaced it. I was like, I don't anticipate keeping my job for too long. So uh, I'm, I'm just taking a risk and... <laughs> I just believe in it and I don't really care about the job anymore, which is terrible because I don't know what I'm going to do without it. But I just figure I'll get another job. Yeah. And I think that's definitely an important thing to think about, like your own risk level. Um, and if you're in a place where you're like, so be it. Um, and taking that level of risk is. The other thing is not everyone's in that position like me where I feel confident about like going back on the hunt for a new job. You may have a colleague though, who has a, higher risk threshold than you do. Um, mm -hmm. So if there's a way that you can pass on that information and that they're willing to be the front for it. Um, again, the journalists I've dealt with have been super ethical in ways to shield me. Okay. Meaning to be the source of the leaks. So just get to find out who those 
and most most respectable journalists do that. They try and shield their sources because that's their that's their bread and butter. That they give them the story, so they don't want to throw you under the bus or screw you. Yeah. So this is Laura. Um, I am known in my organization for being the one who is annoying about thinking through all the all the nitty gritty details. Um, so I'm going to do that <laughs> right now. Um, I know that in most fairly large operations, um, not everyone is tasked with drafting false official statements, right? So it's entirely possible that the eight people in this room, that none of us are actually drafting statements that would be coming from our agency. Um, so, you know, to thinking about each of us and like where exactly would this scenario intersect with us, right? It might be, for example, that um, the uh, external affairs office for your agency, who you don't really have any control over, is the group that actually puts out that statement. And so what can you do um, before, during, and after that process, right? Do you have um, a connection to someone in EO where you can, or EA, where you can go up to them and say, hey, have you been asked to draft a statement like this? Um, if they say yes, how would you convince them to not do it? And if they don't agree with you and someone in that, e in that office goes ahead and issues a statement anyway, how would you be able to exercise your First Amendment rights to say like, I work at this agency this statement was put out in support of the coup. This is a coup and I do not support my agency's statement. Would you make that, would you make that statement to the public? Would you make it internally to your supervisor? Um, like where exactly do you intersect with this talking point communique? Yeah, I think a lot of us are called on to provide building blocks for say talking points. So for example, uh, you know, it, you might be in a part of your agency that doesn't really deal with the press or, you know, the public particularly, but then the the head of your, you know, stovepipe needs talking points or something to be able to, you know, give a presentation on say, you know, like the glorious, you know, harvests under comrade president or you know, whatever. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> insisting on true information, I think is really valuable, but honestly, um, the opportunity to put something together and then, um, you know, weigh in on clearances and things is just a really great way of gumming up the works, you know, because, um, I mean, you put forward information that, you know, will be rejected because it's accurate. But then, um, you know, just, I, you know, I really think that the Bureau of Crop Dusting needs to take a look at this or, you know, well, I can't send this in until I am sure that so-and-so has seen it and agrees or, um, you know, don't you think the lawyers need to be involved because, you know, and you can, you know, gum stuff up for days or at least really irritate some people. But um, like really making I'll, bureaucracy your friend. Oh, yeah. I just want to agree, especially with that part about pushing things before the general counsel offices, um, because that's been, my, they've been my best friends of slowing things down for some weeks, sometimes months. Lawyers. 
Smart. Um, I want to see if we can move on to the next question that's provided, um, which it says in the week or so after the election, in this in this scenario where, um, well, actually, looks like we might, it, it's asking us to continue focusing on the scenarios. So we can take a look at, do we want to continue talking about scenario number one? I, I think we got so. some pretty solid points and I'll um, definitely share those notes with the group. Um, but the second scenario that we have is um, leadership in your department or agency is using the new executive order to initiate a purge of disloyal civil servants. You're being asked to report on the loyalty of your colleagues and to demonstrate your own loyalty by signing an oath of loyalty to President Trump and certify that you will not participate in anti-Trump activities, even outside of work. Thoughts? <laughs> Don't do that. That would be answered with my resignation letter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would make them fire me first because, you know, that's not cause for termination. Make it, make them work for it if they want it. You know? This would never happen to me. Right. Same they, here. They would get rid of them. I would be the first one out. Yeah, they, no, but that, that would never happen in my organization, but. I think making them work for it is really a good point. Though. Yeah. I mean, yeah. because oh, I'm not going to sign that fire me. Can you imagine the if they had to start initiating firing yeah. action against all that many people? I mean, HR would melt. I also think that's a great time to take your lose, user lose and forget to answer your email. Like they can't do anything for the duration of time in which you are simply on on your PTO. And then, then when you get back, then you have to respond to that email and you can push that process out weeks. Can you ignore the email altogether? Just like ignore and not sign it? Oh. I don't know if that falls into a sphere of... I accidentally deleted it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, like, ignore it. Somebody approaches you three months later is like, where's that thing? It's like, oh. What thing? I must have wound up my spam folder. I thought yeah. that that was a hoax. Are you right. sure that yeah. was real? That was a phishing test. <laughs> that was test. real. That was a phishing test, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Treat that, report it to spam and see what happens. Yeah, let IT deal with it. Oh, I am. Yeah. A really important point that I heard, which I, in my limited knowledge of things, is that um, federal employees do have a fairly well-protected um, employment status, especially if they're in a union. Um, it does take a lot to fire a Fed. Um, so I think whoever said um, make them work for your firing and like gumming up the HR portion of this. Um, yeah, like again, using bureaucracy to your advantage and like making it a total headache. Um, and I've also um, focused on when and why movements for democracy have succeeded. Um, at the same time, I um, have worked in the U.S. government. I worked in the State Department for over five years, um, and I'm currently now on a leave of absence uh, from my job to focus on our domestic uh, democracy and peacebuilding work. So I'm going to be bringing to bear perspectives both as an ac academic um, and as someone who has served 
served um, as a public servant in U.S. government. And just to, you know, drive a finer point on the framing um, for this workshop, this is not really, you know, a training in activism. Really, it's about how you all as uh, federal workers can be the penultimate public servants at a time when our country needs you the most. And, you know, this workshop was open to everyone, no matter their political stripe, um, because ultimately this is not about Trump or about Biden. It's about us and it's about our constitutional right to choose our elected government uh, representatives freely without threats, without interference or without other tomfoolery. And, you know, we have it in us to ensure that the outcome of the election is decided by voters, and we have it in us to protect the integrity of our democratic institutions. So we have the power. And speaking of power, uh, Laura, if you can switch to the next slide. I want to start with this uh, quote by uh, Gene Sharp, who's one of the pioneers in the field of nonviolent action, just to get a little bit at what power you all have um, as individuals and as federal workers. So Gene Sharp said um, in The Politics of Nonviolent Action, by themselves, rulers cannot collect taxes, enforce repressive laws and regulations, keep trains running on time, prepare national budgets, direct traffic, manage ports, print money, repair roads, keep markets supplied with food, make steel, build rockets, train the police and the army, issue postage stamps, or even milk a cow. People provide these services to the ruler through a variety of organizations and institutions. If people would stop providing these skills, the ruler could not rule. And just as a, an added insight on this, specifically focused on bureaucrats, um, President Harry S. Truman famously said, I thought I was the president, but when it comes to these bureaucrats, I can't do a damn thing. So the bottom line with this is that we all as ordinary people um, and as federal workers have power. Uh, next slide, Laura. So um, just to, to share a little bit, kind of one of the um, underlying theories of power um, that is kind of at the base of understanding uh, civic action and why kind of people power has succeeded uh, here and around the world. So the idea is that power um, ultimately um, flows from individuals and ordinary people, that no ruler or government can wield power without the consent and the cooperation of the ruled. So power is actually dispersed across society and concentrated in what we refer to as pillars of support. So these are organizations and institutions that provide a government or other power holder with the power, with the skills, the knowledge, the labor, the know-how that they need uh, to stay in power. And these pillars of support are made up of ordinary people like you and me who provide expertise, who provide uh, specific forms of labor, um, who provide buying power. So if people in these pillars of support withhold or deny their consent and cooperation, 
meaning they stop obeying, they stop cooperating, and they engage in protests, boycotts, strikes, a whole host of other uh, nonviolent tactics that if masses of people engage in non-cooperation, no ruler can stay in power, um, even if they really want to, and even if they use a lot of repression. And ultimately, this is how civil resistance has removed even dictators from power in places like the Philippines, Serbia, Ukraine, uh, Sudan, other places around the world. And the other idea is that within these pillars of support, you can think of it as kind of a series of concentric rings. And, you know, at the center, Center is kind of the power holder and people who are, you know, in the rings around the power holder have varying degrees of loyalty to the center. So, you know, those who are maybe closer to the center, and this uses the example of, you know, the, the military kind of uh, starting with generals and going out colonels, foot soldiers, but you think can think about this in terms of the bureaucracy as well, kind of going through the different hierarchy, that the people who are maybe closest uh, to the center are more likely to obey less likely to challenge authority. Um, but as you go out um, to those outer rings, people are going to have less loyalty um, to, to the center, to the power holder. And these people are really key allies. And ultimately, you know, the goal um, in, you know, in effective people power is to bring people over to your side, to get them to shift loyalties, to get them to move from the center to the outside. Um, and as we know, and as Maddie, um, you know, laid out so nicely, bureaucracy is a really powerful pillar. And, you know, federal workers have unparalleled familiarity with the bureaucratic process. They know how to speed things up. They know how to slow them down. They have access to critical information about policies that are being considered and implemented. They can participate in internal decision making. They can provide or deny knowledge and expertise that those um, at the top of the bureaucratic uh, totem pole need, essentially. So um, moving on to the next slide. So the important thing, and, and Maddie began to um, address this in her remarks, there are uh, a number of different courses of action for federal workers who are either asked to participate in actions that they believe to be illegal or that they believe to be fundamentally unethical or contrary to a democracy. And, but ultimately, you know, while there are these many different options, it ultimately comes down to individual decisions and personal choice. Deciding what to do or what not to do is a very personal decision. It's based on context. It's based on your rank, on your tolerance for risk, um, on your preparation, and frankly, where you sit in the federal, uh, federal bureaucracy. So to the next slide, um, just to lay out in the in the field of nonviolent action, when we're talking about the range of different tactics, um, we talk about acts of commission and acts of omission. So acts of commission are things that you do that you either are not expected to do or that are contrary to you know what the opponent, in this case, the enemies of democracy, um, want you to do. 
so in this case, you know, an act of commission would be, you know, as federal workers asking very specific questions, exerting your voice in the workplace, joining with colleagues to make the case for why something may be illegal or unethical. Another uh, act of commission is the wearing of symbols, which seems like, a, you know, a small or a minor thing, but it's actually really powerful um, when lots of people are showing unity and solidarity by wearing symbols. Um, symbols can be nonpartisan, they can be pro-democracy, and part of me thinks that symbols may be an important way for feds to show uh, support and solidarity around democracy and the integrity of our election or after uh, November 3rd. Another act of commission is creating a paper trail. So producing a, a, a very clearly written account of the problem in question and the actions um, that are taken to address it. And this is really, I think, in this moment uh, where there may be uncertainty, conflicting messaging, um, potentially illegal orders um, for civil servants, federal workers to engage in meticulous documentation um, to challenge the policies or the directives that they deem unethical or unconstitutional, particularly when the orders are given verbally uh, rather than in written form. And another act of commission, albeit highly, um, you know, risky, and there are a number of um, uh, great downsides, is leaking. So leaking information about pending or actual policies with journalists, with activists, influential people on the outside. Um, but this, you know, really uh, should be used very judiciously only on truly significant matters, um, because most disclosures outside of formal internal whistleblowing are at minimum a violation of contractual duty, and they may put leakers um, at significant legal risk. Um, and of course, if information is classified, employees can be fired or criminally prosecuted, as Sarah uh, may talk a little bit about. So another act of, um, uh, of commission is creating parallel structures or self-organizing units. So organizing in the office place, in the workplace. This is particularly important um, in the event of abuses of power, unethical activity, to be able to self-organize, um, make decisions without obeying or legitimizing certain decisions that are made. So in terms of acts of omission, thing, meaning things that you that you don't do, that you're expected to do, um, or that you're being asked to do, um, first is, you know, rejecting loyalty oaths, um, you know, being called upon to swear a loyalty oath, um, you know, around an, a candidate, an individual, um, particularly when the outcome of the election is still um, in doubt, um, a very important thing, and to foster frank internal debate and transparency with outside stakeholders whenever possible. Um, another act of omission is going slow or slow down. So basically people, bureaucrats, federal workers performing their duties um, at a foot dragging pace, which is less likely to attract attention than an overt strike um, and has been used in a number of different uh, cases. And then, you know, another a higher risk um, uh, effort would be a labor strike or a walkout. Um, would likely be illegal, but it's kind of um, a high risk, high impact, a nonviolent action that federal workers can take um, if they deem it necessary. So my last um, just uh, set of remarks um, is around the importance of an inside outside strategy. So next slide, Laura. And really, um, Maddie hit on a number of these points. And so I'll just reiterate, um, you know, being able to think about what you can do um, as federal workers 
triggers and seeing the relationship between those actions and what is happening outside the federal workplace. So really the importance of self-organizing with colleagues from within the same bureau and across government agencies, um, which can help build trust and confidence as federal workers are having to navigate a really difficult terrain together, uh, connecting with civic groups and organizations on the outside and having frank and honest conversations with them. And when you think about it, the legal support and advocacy work of civil society organizations could come in really in handy, um, you know, if and when you have to take certain actions on the inside. Um, and then, you know, contributing as private citizens, knowledge, skills, expertise to civic groups, organizations um, that would benefit from them tremendously. And just remaining in communication with those groups that, um, you know, uh, in a grassroots way or organizing, preparing people um, in the event that there is a stolen election, learn what they're doing. So I listed a few different organizations and initiatives there um, just to be in the know and to be in communication because the connections, the communication is going to be so critically important. And my last and final point is returning to a point I mentioned earlier is just, you know, um, exhibiting the utmost integrity and professionalism during this period and being the ultimate public servant while uh, using your First Amendment rights uh, to protect the integrity of our election and really to uphold our democracy. Thank you. Thank you, Maria. Let me just remind folks, there's actually a super interesting conversation going on in chat. So if you don't have your chat window open, you're missing it. Click on the little speech bubble at the bottom of your screen. Also, don't forget, if you have questions, you can put them in chat and the facilitators are going to keep track of questions for um, after the next speaker, who is Sarah Sterrett. Sarah, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes, thank you. Um... Laura and Maria, that was really excellent. Thank you so much for that presentation. I, I have to say, as an attorney in the federal government, um, I, I am finding the chat uh, suggestions very interesting. And I just do want to remind people that we lose our status as federal employees if we strike. Uh, but as my sister Sarah Harper pointed out, we could do an informational period at lunchtime. Um, you know, so there are things you can do that, that will get you visibility. Um, if you do them carefully and you do them at lunchtime, you probably won't get fired. So that would be my sort of initial thing is probably don't get fired like right away unless you're ready to quit your job. If you're ready to quit your job, you know, that's a whole nother thing. Um, so can everyone see me and hear me? I can't see myself, so I don't know. Yes, we can. Okay, good. All right. So I just want to go through some real quick do's and don'ts. Um, I am an attorney, but I am not your attorney. This is not legal advice. Do not say Sarah told me to do this. So it was okay. All right. I will deny that I ever said it. So just be aware. Those of you who, who know me already, um, you should always get legal advice if you're going to take a risky action. Um, and you can probably talk to a union or a whistleblower um, agency or a uh, private lawyer, uh, you know, get some ideas maybe from Nadine or Laura, you know, just run it by somebody before you do anything that's going to get you fired. At least at this point in time, I'm feeling very vulnerable as a federal worker. So I just really don't want to get us all fired like, you know, the first day. Okay, so here's some do's and don'ts. Um, can you go to the next slide, Laura? Our oath is to the Constitution. Not to any individual, not to a politician, not to a political appointee, not even to an SES or a manager. Um, we still have the First Amendment, so we have the right to free speech. We have the right to assemble. We have the right to petition our Congress people. 
Um, in many of our agencies, we also have an inspector general, we have an ethics office, um, we have uh, whistleblower uh, people that we could go to if we feel the need to blow the whistle. There are legal ways uh, you know, to speak in a, in a formal way. But at least as a general rule, uh, we have the right to do political action outside the workplace, just like we're doing right now. We can do and say pretty much anything we want, um, but we can't do it uh, on federal property, during working hours, using government equipment. Okay, so that's really probably the most important thing. Um, I've been doing a lot of uh, voter protection, election protection hotline volunteer activity in the last month or so. And if I'm doing it for a nonpartisan civil rights group like the Lawyers Committee, you know, then I can get leave to do it uh, and I can still get paid. I can do it as a pro bono activity for the federal government. But if I'm working for the Biden campaign doing the exact same thing, I cannot because that is partisan, partisan political activity. So that's really what the Hatch Act does is it sets up a very uh, bright line between partisan political activity, uh, which you cannot do in the workplace or on federal property or during duty hours. Um, it, but you can do on your own time. So if you're on annual leave, for example, um, or after work. Um, so the most important thing is do not use federal property equipment or time to advocate for or against passage of, and these are specific things, federal legislation, executive orders, policies, or actions. It's just not a good idea to do mm -hmm. that on working time during working hours or in a federal building. If you're on your lunch hour, and you wanna go across the street and call your congressman using your personal cell phone, um, or if you wanna contact a whistleblower um, or a um, public interest group, or you know, send an email or sign a petition or do anything that you wanna do that you think is important to do, you could do it on your lunch hour, you could do it before or after work, uh, but not while you're getting paid by the federal government. Um, most feds, and not all feds, maybe some people in this, um, meeting that can't do this because you're uh, in a special category. But if you are, if you're national security or armed services or whoever, you know who you are. Most of us uh, are allowed to engage in most partisan pol political activity. We cannot fundraise. Um, that's really probably the most critical thing. Um, but you can generally advocate for uh, or against uh, Biden being elected um, and say that you think that Biden would be a much better candidate and you know call all your friends and tell them to vote for Biden. You can do all of those things as long as you're not on working time. Um, you can also advocate for democracy. And again, this is sort of a generic thing. You can say while you're on the clock, uh, you know, that votes should be counted, that the first amendment is important, that we believe in the constitution. You can say all those things. Um, you can't really say, you know, Donald Trump is a terrible president, I hate him, and he should be, you know, thrown out on his butt. You, you cannot say that. Although some of us want to. We can't. Uh, we also can't do what Ivanka does, and we can't do what Kellyanne does, and we can't do what the president does, which is use, to use federal property for political campaign activities. We cannot do that as federal employees, or we can get fired. But, uh, next slide. One of the things we can do is we can advocate for or against executive orders, policies, or actions. You know, so for example, in my own job, um, I, ish, I, I write federal regulations. I work on teams of people that do federal regulations. Um, and at the same time, I might get an email from a group, a public interest group saying, you know, contact this federal agency and tell them don't do these things. You know, so on my working time, I'm, drafting the regulation, but in my free time, I can say that I think it's a terrible idea. 
And I can also contact my Congress people and tell them, you know, to stop my agency from issuing this terrible policy or this terrible rule. Um, the same rules apply on social media, just as a general policy. You can tweet, you can do Facebook, you can uh, go on Zoom, you know, do what we're doing now. Uh, but you just really can't use your federal uh, title or representing your agency. So I can't come on here saying, you know, my name is Sarah. I work for the Department of X. And as a lawyer for the government, I am advising you, you know, this and that and the other. Um, that is the job of the secretary that I work for. He can do that, but I cannot speak for the government. Um, and just the most important thing is if you break these rules, you can get disciplined, you can get fired. Um, if you engage in civil disobedience during working hours on the job and federal property, you know, that is extremely bad for your career. Um, so I just advise you don't do that. Uh, don't strike, don't engage in any activity that can be considered a strike. However, again, leafleting at lunchtime in front of the building, that's perfectly fine. So you should talk to your union if you have one. You should talk to your ethics uh, office, which I think almost all federal agencies have one. Uh, you can contact a lawyer for free. We have some resources um, in a document that's being circulated uh, of a number of people, um, you know, whistleblower groups and, and federal attorneys and other people out there that are uh, happy to give you advice on taking certain actions and what the risks or rewards might be. Um, the only other thing I want to say in terms of the uh, go slow approach is in my experience, when we had the last transition in the last three months after the election was over and before the new president took office, there was an enormous amount of work that was done on an incredibly fast pace in my agency um, to try and get things out, you know, to get regulations out, to get guidance documents out, to, you know, finish policies, to try to put things in stone so that the new administration could not change them back. Um, and that's an area where, you know, in the legal department where I work, uh, sometimes corners were cut, you know, which is just really, really bad. And sometimes we got sued over those things, and very often those actions got overturned. So it's perfectly okay to say to your boss, I think this needs some more work. I think this needs some more thought, you know, drafting memos, circulating questions, you know, raising issues. Um, because even if some terrible things happen in the next three months, there may be a new administration and a new Congress that may try to reverse some of these actions. So if we do have a good paper trail, it really helps. It helps a lot. Um, and that's all I was really going to say. I think we're going to take questions a little bit later and we're going to do a breakout room so we'll have a chance to discuss some of these ideas. Thank you, Thank Sarah. You. All right, so I'm, I'm going to hand it over to Nadine to field some of the questions from the chat. Feel free to keep entering questions in the chat. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much to Maddie and Maria and Sarah for these uh, really great presentations to jumpstart our work tonight. Um, I have been collecting some of the questions that I saw. Feel free to continue to add in the chat. So um, one of the first ones I saw was, uh, can you speak to potential retaliation from political appointees, even if informal, leaving off of calls, et cetera? I know there are a lot of USAID people on here afraid of speaking up or doing anything at all, even something like an email signature because of political leadership in bureaus and in the agency right now. I don't know if that's a, it sounds like it's a Sarah question, but. 
Well, I, I'm just going to say it certainly happens. And if you're afraid of that, then don't do it. I mean, you know, you can tow the party line and that is your choice. Or you can make your voice um, heard to some extent. And that is also your choice. Um, it's not going to be great for your career to go up against an SES. There's, you know, there's, there's no way around that. It is what it is. <laughs> yep. Um, and it, there may, you may want to develop some other options for your career if uh, this is an issue because there are other things to do. So um, here's some others. There were a bunch of questions about uh, lunch break and it's particularly in this moment when we're teleworking. So, you know, if you're teleworking, can you do these things on your lunch hour? Um, what are the legal consequences of doing things on one lunch break if you're working from home? Things like that. Uh, you, you know, your lunch hour is yours. And, and, you know, it's weird when you're in your own home because your own home has sort of become a government workplace. But as a practical matter, um, I just kind of get up and I walk in the other room. Uh, and for example, I have my government computer sitting here right next to me, which is closed at this moment. And I'm doing the Zoom on my personal computer. And so I'm really, really careful to which things I do on which computer. You know, if I get an email that I don't want to answer on that computer, I just literally get up and walk to the other room. Um, you know, so you have to just kind of manage it for yourself. If you're being monitored and your supervisor is harassing you, uh, you just need to be really careful because if they want to try to get rid of you, you know, they can, they can say if you falsified your leave or you, you know, you did something you weren't supposed to do and you have to be really careful. I mean, especially if you're going to engage in activities that are going to make people mad, um, you know, be prepared. But, but, I was just going to say in terms of one, one response, you can't like a tweet during your lunch hour. The First Amendment applies to you. You can like tweets. You can do things like that. You can say things are good, things are bad. Those are okay. That's not a partisan political statement. If you say Trump should lose, that is a partisan political statement. But if you say his makeup looked ugly, I think that's okay. Thank you so much for that. Um, yes, especially if you're in the in that kind of business, I think that's a reasonable thing to say. So um, uh, there are some calls for talking about the executive order. Uh, so it's different, as you know, that with equity comes Class, please welcome the new student, Robert. Welcome, Robert. Well, thanks for the warm welcome, Teach. It's lit, no cap. Take a seat. White privilege is something that each and every one Thank of you in
better not be in here telling these children that men can't get pregnant. Of course not, Mr. Smith. And did you tell all the white children that they are racist? And colonizers and bigots, yes. Very good. I already got that t-shirt. I got that one. I got that t-shirt. Now, I hope all of you were paying attention. I played specific parts of hours and hours of these, um, you know, Tacoma Park and uh, Momentum and Shutdown DC groups. Very specific. And as you see, they're still in positions that you pay for. But we also talked about the pipe bomber that is also part of those domestic terror groups because apparently the FBI says if you say red pill or if you're based, it's, uh, you know, extremism. But I hope people are realizing that our nation has been at war. We've been having a civil war for over six years now. And these are the last, I would say, these are the death rattles. And it's taking a while. They won't go up. <laughs> won't go out without a fight or else they it would have been gone. We have so many of them being placed. New casting directors have come up. Others have gone down. And we're still in this mode of not stepping outside of this construct, legit, that they're trying to build. We have them dead to rights. Ask yourself, we have them dead to rights. I mean, right now there's a political story that went out and it almost seems as if people are upset that someone was able to get their Twitter handle back that may be speaking negatively about the Taliban. It is, it is atrocious what we're seeing. Is our federal government protecting others, governments? Because if it wasn't for Elon, then things wouldn't be happening. You have to think about it for a second. They're trying to not allow them to have access. The Taliban had access to a Twitter account of Masood's. This is, this is, a, you know, this is going to, this requires a whole story on it, but this is the place we're at right now that they're fighting and upset that terrorists can lose control of having access to social media. Is that where we're at? And we believe this is so. We have people in Congress openly engaging in domestic terror activities. You have federal employees, mind you, the one talking about how to gung, gum up the system, as they kept saying, or slow walk things, that wrote your OSHA mandate for vaccines and masks. These are the people that are the most important to target. And as they said this on their own, it is very difficult to fire a federal employee, especially when they're sitting at the, you know, Office of Management and Budget, right? And at the top echelons of whatever agency they work for, HR. Let's not forget that, you know, freaking Aaron Turnmeyer was in HR for the DNI. What do you think she was doing? She was Obama's yellow cake bullshit, uranium, Iran, Iraq bullshit, weapons of mass destruction advisor. What do you think she did? 
when she was placed in that position before Obama left. We're all looking at these idiots like Schiff, the super leaker, like, you know, I don't know, Ratskin, who's, I can't for the life of me figure out how they're funneling our federal tax dollars. I can see it going from one place to another and there's a dark spot. And man, I'm like a dog (laughs) on a hunt for a bone right now to figure that one out. Um, But we have all these that are elected, alleged elected officials, but we're not paying attention to who and where the enemies are really sitting. They're in these federal positions that slow walk your FOIAs, your open records requests, your applications for loans, SBA, passports, IDs, you name it. They can all get sick at the same time, misplace your document. Oops, sorry, I forgot. Those videos should have all of you terrified that they they were openly discussing color revolutions. They were openly discussing how to train people on the Arab Spring. They were openly discussing of overthrowing our government. They were openly discussing how they have been operating, leaking information, slowing down things. So when President Trump would issue something or a regulation would come down the pipeline, they would slow it down. The EAC had no quorum. That's another thing of slow down. Again, you're paying for it while they slow down. We have them on video conspiring to defraud the American citizens. Your Congress, your Senate, your dumbass reporters that want to play journalist. Don't even report that. They're all playing into sides of politics rather than pointing this out. You want to know why elections were bad? Do you know that Laura Robb worked for DHS HQ? Remember when Obama figured out that Trump was going to be the nominee? Suddenly DHS sent letters to a bunch of states. Hey, would you like to? We'll come and monitor your elections for free just because, you know, Russians. Remember what Georgia said? Fuck no. No, thanks. But you know who was spearheading the Georgia elections? DHS, let's help you out. Laura fucking Rob. And remember who got caught in the election machines in 2016? DHS from Georgia. And then she leaves DHS as a contractor, starts working at the FDA, you know, while they're trying to push vaccines, right? So, hello. And then Biden gets installed into office and she's back. To DHSHQ, which is now called SZA SZA. Ha. And here we are sharing memes and attacking the idiots that are puppets like Ratskin. They're nothing. They're just like Hunter Biden to these people. The fourth unelected branch of government are these federal employees, these careers in the State Department, at the Department of Treasury. Those are your enemies and they are doing it on your dollar. I mean, I don't know how else someone can spell it out. And now there's a 21-year-old who leaked information that the government has already on the record told their allies and the rest of the world are fake, but they roll this boy up, tell me it's not, tell me they're authentic without telling me they're authentic, right? And this is all on the heels of a lot of pressure about Assange. Uh, You know, here's where I talk about my magic ball, right? Hey, remember when Mitch got beat up? Three days later, Mitch is beat up. Hey, Mitch got beat up. Well, now, you know, with all this stuff with Assange, I guess he needs to get beat up. And then 
He'll retire. Oh, guess what? He's retiring now. See, people don't take the 40,000 foot view. Everyone is focused on tiny little facets of a puzzle. It's like zooming in with a microscope on something you should be looking at from a six feet distance on a board somewhere. This is so simple to see what's, what's happening. Congress already knows, and the Gang of Eight has received all your demands and requests. They all know that President Trump signed commutations and pardons. They do not want that to see the light of day at all. That would be detrimental, because then we'd have to pull. It's like, what is it? Dana? No. Dana? Vanna White will present. Right? Because there's a lot more out there than you know. Wow, WikiLeaks has been getting scrubbed. But does anyone think that there was no way that that information was archived? I mean, all of us archived things. So what if there were things that weren't published but were archived? Not by Assange himself, but others. This is uh, allegedly, hypothetically speaking, right? We keep talking about all these things we should be doing and we're not paying attention to the federal employees at all. Uh, artificial intelligence can be used as a tool to benefit us, but instead it has been weaponized. I mean, they give AIs female names all the time, right? Don't they? Right? Don't they? You don't hear anything like, oh, Bob will give you, it's always Alexa, it's always Siri, it's a feminine energy. So now they're stuck. Genie's out of the bottle. They need to make AI seem like, okay, it's all good. It's all fine. Need not worry. Need not worry. Right? Need not worry, per se. But people are finding out that the courts are using AI to the disadvantage of the citizen that enters those big doors, that threshold of a court. You walk in to a jury that has already predetermined your fate by at least 50%. And then your indictment or arguments have been sussed out by an AI script that will box you in with your own words, regardless of your innocence or how out of proportion or guilty you may or may not be. I'm going to tell you the story of a girl named Alice, but it's not the regular story of Alice in Wonderland, yet one might say that um, she is indeed Alice in Wonderland. So, Alice, it's an actual person, and they're in Ukraine. They were in Ukraine. The DNC hacker was a Ukrainian woman. The one that hacked the FBI stream was a Ukrainian woman named Alice. She's actually quite intelligent, I have to say. She can sit in a restaurant where you're eating and she'll have downloaded whatever device she wants to download from there. CrowdStrike knows her very well. In fact, actually very, very well. Alice is her name. It's um, her hacker group nickname, which are based on Lewis Carroll's fantastic stories about the looking glass. She's Ukrainian, and she's worked um, for Ukraine through the Ukrainian Ministry of Information Division, and she worked with SBU. Remember Alexandra Shulupa, how she was doing oppo research for Hillary? 
Do you remember that? It's opposition research. It's not bullshit. Do you remember that? Where Alexandra Chalupa was doing all that research, right? Where through that opposition research, they decided there was Russian involvement in Russia, Russia, Russia. Well, it was actually Alice that gave them that <laughs> idea and whatever. Alice is, uh, you know, New York State, their courts um, have a new contract. I talked about it a couple years ago when they got it with CrowdStrike. So, Dimitri of CrowdStrike um, has worked with Alice, whose real name is Irina. So it's a very tangled web here um, that is weaved. Alice is quite a fancy person when it comes to using Bluetooth as, a, as an open door. Usually most of the work that they did was extorting oligarchs, you know, very rich people saying, oh, I... You know, they'll maybe even put child pornography in their phone and say, oh, I'm going to call the cops. You have child porn on your phone. And I've already made it look like it's been there for a while. Some of them will look like your phone took the picture and they extort them for, you know, cryptocurrency or cash, right? Um, but Fancy Bear, Cozy Bear uh, that I've talked about before, you know, are... Very similar. Well, it's crowd strikes, fancy bear, cozy bear. Um, oh, how do I say this without saying it? I'm trying to, I can't say, <laughs> I can't. You know, what I want to say is we do know that Alexandra Chalupa, right? We talked about her years and years ago, had paid money and she was a uh, lead in the um, actual uh, opposition research against Trump. So did she use Alice's, you know, white rabbits and queen of hearts that were known to be credit card thieves and blackmailers to do oppo research on President Trump? I mean, does it sound far-fetched? Didn't we see the CEO of CrowdStrike when he was being interviewed at the House Intelligence Committee where he sat there and he said, oh, I don't know if there's evidence that anything was taken during the DNC hack. Remember how CrowdStrike was paid two days after... Comey said that Hillary is like, oh, she's fine. You know, no problem. Was Alexandra Chalupa's Ukrainian hackers working for her to do all this research? Did they also maybe come to the United States and pretend they were IT professionals for the DNC? You know, like the ones I talked about with the ripped IPs. And hmm? Remember how I did did a deep dive to you guys about how they can change the end of your, your IP address and make it look like someone else, how I can write code and frame the Chinese for it, or how you could be sitting at your desk, right? And I can have you at the same time be at an ATM somewhere downtown and look like you're breaking in. Could it be that these... Petty hackers, these beat the system, let's creep behind the RSA back systems, smart people. 
could these people, these alleged criminals, been placed in the United States to work for Alexandra Chalupa to make sure that there were things done? But could it be that they themselves may, you know, what was it that Adam Schiff, what made Adam Schiff's career? Think of this. Remember there was this guy and they tried to frame him as his Russian agent and he was gone. He was the, probably the first U.S. attorney to kind of do a quasi double jeopardy type lawsuit and then fucking find the guy to be an asset for the Russians, right? Like uh, he was like a, a double agent, right? Just, I thought I'd throw that in there. You know, the whole double agent thing is so weird. It's just, you know, and this is probably why Brennan was very uncomfortable with the whole situation at some point. And smart for him because, you know, when you tap people like that, you know, and he knows because he's tapped them before, hasn't he? Um, it's it's kind of difficult because what have we said about mercenaries before? Sometimes there's principles, but usually mercenaries, they just go to the highest bidder. And if you're outbid, then you lose. The FBI themselves protected, like actually protected the hackers. Actively protected the hackers. The FBI and ODNI hacked and influenced the American psyche. Do you know how? By covering up for the actual hacking groups. And then one would think as to why would our FBI do that? Because as I've said, the fourth unelected branch of government is the one you do not see. You're looking, if you know their name and if you see them and recognize them, they're not that important. It's like open targets. But those Zoom calls show you exactly who's planning what. Remember, those videos were from before the elections where they were actually planning to take over government buildings. You know, Millie actually, uh, this, this week, she said to me, kind of regret us putting all that out. Maybe we should have just sat back and watched because maybe then we would have watched it unfold. Maybe by reporting it, we've caused something. But here's the thing. Mirror, mirror, server, server on the wall. <laughs> Where the heck are the servers for the DNC? Where are the servers for the DNC? That's a really good question, isn't it? Where are the servers for the DNC? No one wants to talk about that. That's the problem that we have. The servers, the FBNI and ODNI hacked and influenced the American people. They did that with no shame, no shame whatsoever. Why would they be ashamed? They did what they believe, as you heard these feds say, was the right thing to ensure that their country would be safe because they uphold some version of the Constitution that says it's okay for them to do this. You heard them yourself. This isn't paraphrasing. This is, well, I'm paraphrasing the actual phrases, right? It's not, uh, it's not something easily said. Remember back when we were all about CrowdStrike and suddenly everyone let that die down and then CrowdStrike now is managing all the court systems that are going after Trump? 
our government and our political parties are criminals. The FBI, the ODNI, NSA have dropped the ball and we can't find all these things that are happening. Do you know that Fancy Bear had fingerprint tools that you could see them, right? And very specific tools and CrowdStrike didn't provide a report till after the elections. This is, this is the, the, the problem that we have. They are not working with us. They're working against us. And these are federal employees. Now, there are many things we can do, and that's holding them accountable. And I can tell you, those of establishment need to start wrestling with the truth a little bit more because they could find themselves in big trouble. They are selling us out left and right. They haven't been straightforward with what's been happening. We have a government right now that is supporting the Taliban to confiscating oppositional party Twitter handles. Upset that Elon Musk is going to give the opposition party to the Taliban access to Twitter again and take their Twitter handle away from the Taliban control. Why? Why do they have a problem with this? You have federal employees that are trying to skew and change our policies. This is where we need to be focusing on these leaks. While criminal for some of the things that were done, some people are at the point where they find it necessary, almost like the leftists, to, to assassinate their careers and end up in jail because they see the writing on the wall. You must have more faith in that. We must have a lot more faith in that. This weekend, I'll be dropping a documentary style. Well, I'm going to say it like this. There's a lot of ways that you can convey information. Information can be conveyed um, either by sound, by sight, but sometimes you can take both and hide um, information. Name. Let me find an example. Let me explain to you a, f a fad that is going, should I say fad? It's kind of a fad that's going on right now in the cyber community. But just so you understand, this was a fad or something that was hip within circles I, I love to frequent about a decade ago. So those that are fancying around with it now are 10 years, at least 10 years late to the party. Allow me to introduce you to loaded data drops in various means and modes and modes, means and modes. Here we go. Message so that although everyone knows the message has been sent, they can't actually find out what it means. Whereas in steganography, we're trying to um, hide the fact that we sent the message at all. So a classic example would be if I was writing you a letter and then I wrote an invisible ink, a whole different letter between the lines or on the other side or something like that. And only you knew that that was going to be there. So you get home and everyone else maybe looks at the letter and thinks, that's just not very interesting at all. And then of course you can uncover the secret message. Today we'll talk a bit about digital image steganography because obviously there's a huge scope for hiding things in digital images. Images can be megabytes or more and you can hide files of megabytes or more in them. Um, but of course, as the 
um, the amount of steganography in images has increased, so has the attempts to try and find it. So there's lots of statistical approaches to try and find these things as well. Perhaps the most simple form of steganography in an image is least significant bit steganography. So if we've got a, um, a bitmap of any kind, a PNG or, or a BMP, um, then we can change the lowest bits to be our message and it'll have an almost imperceptible change on the actual way the image looks. It's a bit like if I change the number 800,351, if I change the 1 or the 51 on that, it's not going to have a massive... That's exactly right. But the number is so big that in the grand scheme of things, it makes no difference. So generally speaking, we'll change in, in the image, every single byte will change the last bit or maybe the last two bits if we're really trying to cram in a lot of data. Every byte is eight bits. We take the last two and change that to our message in the hope that no one's going to notice. Um, so for every byte, that's every eight bits, six of them are the regular image and two of them are our secret message. So a quarter of, of, of our message is now secret. So if we have a normal pixel, it's going to be four bytes long. So that's one byte. So for each byte, we're talking about the last two bits in that byte. So that could be a one, we could change that to a one, change that to a zero, or leave them both the same. And what we do is we read off our message. So let's say our message we're trying to equipped is 101101, okay? We get to the first byte and we say, well, this is great. Our first two bytes are already one and zero, so we don't need to change anything at all. So that byte stays as it is. So we go to the next byte. So this will be maybe be red and this might be green in our pixel, okay? The last two bits of this byte are zero and one. The, the uh, two we're trying to put in from our message are one and one, so we change this one to a one. So by changing that second least significant bit from zero to one, we've just increased this value by two. And we're talking about uh, one channel in a huge image changing by two le levels. It's probably not going to be too noticeable. If we start changing the higher significance bits, then that might be a problem. All right. So I've written a program to do this, and I've tried to hide a rather large file inside another rather large image. Okay, so this is a, a nice picture of a tree. It's about three and a bit megapixels in size. So this is the original image of our tree, and that is the steganographic image. First one, on, and to the second one. But it's not changing. It is changing. When you only change the last two significant bits of an eight bits per channel image, you're not going to see a huge amount of detail. If you actually do a subtraction on the images, you can see a difference. But in general, it's going to be pretty imperceptible. But the really good thing to do would be to never release the original source image. I can tell that something's changed because I've got the original and the new steganographic image with me. But if I just sent out an image of my dog and I never sent out the original but the camera took, no one's going to know that it's been imperceptibly changed because they haven't got a reference. If you take a public domain image and change it, it's going to be easy to look for the original source. Exactly. Um, the other thing is it'll work better on photographs where there's a lot of variation in the intensity levels anyway. So this uh, steganographic image has the entire works of Shakespeare buried in it, which comes to when it's zipped up about one and a half meg, something like that. This kind of simple steganography can be detected. This image here is an image that I've created by taking only the last two bits of each channel. I've scrapped all the other information. If a pixel has a value of naught, it's black. If it has a value of three, it's white, and then it ranges in between. And you can see that there's a tree there. Okay, so you can see even in the first two bits that there's a tree, and the sky is particularly bland. So if you look instead at the steganographic image, I've done the same filter to that, and you can see that the amount of noise has increased massively because that noise is all hidden in those least two significant bits. So you can see, if you compare the bits from one image to the other, you can see a difference. 
And so hiding a message in the least significant bits is fairly obvious, particularly if you have the original for comparison. So this is the difference between those two images, where and I've massively scaled up the difference. I mean, it looks very gray. These white pixels and black pixels are values of plus or minus three intensity changes. So we're still talking very small differences over the image, and it's very evenly distributed. It's all sort of spread noisily out throughout the image. Yeah, so you can't actually tell there's a tree there now. That's... No, you can't tell there's a tree there, which could be a clue. Perhaps a more sophisticated method of uh, hiding something in an image would be to hide it inside the discrete cosine transform coefficients of a JPEG. So we talked a little bit about the DCT and how we convert an image into a series of cosine waves and we have coefficients saying how much of each of those waves we have. If you change those coefficients, instead of changing the raw pixel values, you have a much less predictable effect on the image. If you change the value of, the, of one of the alternating current, large alternating current coefficients from uh, 200 to 201, you're going to have a very imperceptible difference and it's going to happen over that entire 8x8 block. So you're not going to be able to see the clear sort of steganographic noise that we just looked at on that tree. A common algorithm that we're seeing use is called uh, JSTEG. Sorry, I see what they did there. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and what JSTEG does is it goes in and if it can, it will cram the discrete cosine transform coefficients full of um, as much data as it can. And what it does is any coefficients that aren't zero or one, because they might change and be a little bit obvious, um, so usually the low frequency ones, might change up or down. Um, and you can see, again, that the difference is almost imperceptible. So here's a picture of a panda. And what I've done here, I couldn't cram in as much information as before, so it's just Macbeth in this one. So there's the original and the steganographic image. And I've looked at these and I've created the difference. And you can see that, again, it's very, very, very slight. So these pixels, again, have only changed by plus or minus three, maybe one, maybe two. So that's just zoomed in on the difference? That's zoomed in on the difference right there. So you can see that, yes, the pixels have changed, but they've not changed by a lot. And the other crucial thing about hiding your message in the discrete cosine transform coefficients, the JPEG has already completely messed up the least significant bits of your image. So if you do an image like I did, where we're looking at just the bits, we will no longer be able to see a tree. We'll just be able to see very general JPEG noise. And that will be exactly the same in our steganographic image. So you can't do what they call a visual attack by looking and seeing if there's a steganographic uh, message hidden inside because there's no, no real change. So this is the original, and I'm only showing here the least two significant bits. And you can see that they form into little blocks, and each of the blocks is the eight by eight discrete cosine transform blocks. And this is the steganographic data. So you can see that the, the blocks have changed but the distribution of noise throughout the image hasn't changed at all. So it's very difficult to say there's a message buried in there. And if the message took up only a certain amount of the image, it's hard to see where in this image the message is. You could be trying to read off every discrete cosine transform coefficient, when in fact only some of them have a message. If you were sending this to someone as a message, yeah. how, would they, how okay. would they get it out? Okay, so in general, you would also encrypt the message, because you know, you'd better be safe than sorry, why not use encryption? So we encrypt our message, we put it in the discrete cosine transform coefficients or in the least significant bits, and then we send it off to someone. Now they're going to have to have known the process that we used, because if they don't, they're going to be looking in the wrong place. So they'll know, they'll know that we used JSTEG or F5 or one of the other uh, DCT uh, steganography tools. And, um, and they'll basically run the program, they'll type in their decryption key, which will actually remove the encryption, and then out comes their message. When JSTEG was invented, um, it was robust to visual attack. So you couldn't look at it and go, well, that clearly has been altered. So they had to try and come up with, researchers had to try and come up with some other way of 
um, detecting that an image has had a JSEG uh, message buried in it. Um, and what in, what, in, what in fact happens is that the coefficients change so slightly. Because we're applying uh, quantization to our DCT coefficients, most of them will be set to zero. Okay? And JSTAG won't put anything in there because it's too obvious. It'll only put them in a the few at the top corner that are big. Um, and you'll find that the, there's a subtle imbalance produced in where your coefficients are. So you're expecting most of your coefficients to be zero and then a fair few of them to be minus one or one and minus two and two, to be very close to zero. Um, and in fact, you start to get a few threes and fours that you weren't expecting. And, and the distribution of these numbers goes off a little bit, and you can start to predict um, what the, a, JSTAG image is, a JSTAG file has been buried inside. What's more is that this happens in each 8x8 block. So you can actually do this test on every block and find out which blocks have messages in and which blocks don't. And you might find, for example, that the first 60% of a file has a message in and then it abruptly stops and that's a blatant clue that we've got something that isn't taking up the whole image it's just been read written sequentially into the file so if we take the um the frequency of the number of occurrences of each uh, discrete cosine transform coefficient so naught is going to be the most common there may be minus one and one and we plot those in a graph uh, with frequency on the y-axis and the discrete cosine coefficient on the x-axis we get what's called a histogram and that's simply a plot of the frequency of occurrences of various things. Um, so you can do a histogram on an image, but you can also do a histogram on these DCT coefficients and find out whether they've been imperceptibly changed. Once people started routinely detecting JSTEG, um, other people came along and decided, well, that's, you know, it's too obvious, let's try and make it a little bit more subtle. So what they did was they wrote discrete cosine transform steganography approaches where they pay attention to the statistics of the coefficients and try and keep them balanced. So if you put in a one, you try and take one out somewhere else so that you keep the histogram and the, the probabilities of these coefficients occurring at the same. And that makes it much harder to use your standard histogram analysis technique to find out whether there's anything in the image. Um, but now what they can do with the power of machine learning is take, let's say, a thousand images, um, 10 of which may or may not have something buried inside, and a classifier will pretty well find out which ones they are. Um, you just have to have a lot of positive and negative samples to throw at it. It all sounds wonderful, but you know, Cold War's over and everything. Who's, use, who's using these techniques? <laughs> well, yeah, so aside from spies, um, I should say I'm not using these techniques. You know, anyone's, everyone's watching. Um, Otherwise, I'll be going through your Instagram feed. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so I think one of the most common uses is digital watermarking. So uh, in normal steganography, what we want to do is try and hide a message as well as possible. Um, and then all that really matters is that the person on the other side can get it and no one else really notices. In watermarking, what we want to try and do is fingerprint a file so that we know where it came from. We know it's ours, maybe for copyright reasons or to, to trace who's been distributing illegal material. And the key to a watermark is instead of it be, being as much payload as possible, so instead of trying to cram the entire works of Shakespeare into an image, what you should be doing is just a small, let's say a small logo or a small piece of text repeated over and over so that if the image gets cropped or the image gets recompressed, it's still there. Um, and you can imagine that stock photo companies might do this to try and make sure that people aren't distributing their files elsewhere. And you can imagine all, that they would trawl through the web looking for steganographic images embedded in their particular way. Um, Another case, you might find if you were, if you were distributing uh, pre-release DVDs of a film um, and then it gets leaked onto the internet, if there's steganographic data on the source buried in, you'd be able to see who, who it was that leaked it. So, uh, they, yeah, each file could be... 
So in other words, there are ways that you can clearly demonstrate a way to convey messages without conveying messages, right? That's basically what they're telling us. Okay. Now that goes for, um, what is it called? Pictures. You need a frame of reference, hence why you usually use pictures that are located online because the pictures that are located online are a lot easier for a point of reference. But what happens when, when you're using audio and visual from various types of uh, bits and bobs? How do you figure out what the message is? Maybe you don't. Here's a preview of what's coming this weekend. They're shredding of the rule of law and the Constitution. Also, sources telling me tonight there is much more to come. Buckle up. It's going to be a bumpy ride the next 12, 14 days. Uh, Director Ray, I hope you're taking notice. A lot of people don't like you tonight and don't trust you. Uh, are you going to show them you are committed to cleaning up the department of the FBI, the premier law enforcement agency in the world. In other words, will you restore that credibility? Or will you cover for Comey and other deep state actors and cave to the mob in the deep state? Now, by the way, just in, we have a statement from Devin Nunes to John Solomon on this bombshell. Quote, this information was redacted until now for one single reason, to hide the fact that the false allegations from the Steele dossier were included in Mueller's scoping memo uh, along with your staff, how we can obtain copies of those. Of course, we will provide you all our copies of all our materials, but I also would like to let you know that Sobchak and Buzova will pretty soon visit our country, and we could read them and deliver them to your embassy, and you also could, we also could extradite them to your country, and you can put them to... That, guys, is coming this weekend. I hope I've made up for my time away. Next week, at the end of the week, I'll be away again obviously working, um, except with one day of play, I think. Um, <laughs> we'll see. I don't know if it's going to be considered work since I have a detailed itinerary from 7 a.m., but um, I think it's, uh, it's imperative that um, those of you that have access to Rumble uh, access it and take a look. And those of you that are my local's annual subscribers will... Uh, have access to that sooner than when I stream it and take it down. So, yeah, or else I'll put it as an extortionary, extortionary price for a one-time purchase. <laughs> but I will be streaming it, and I will give a heads up when I'm doing it. Sort of, not really. I want them to videotape the whole thing. Copyright and all. So, on that note, I want to wish you guys a fantastic evening. Uh, and I want to leave it with this song. You know, it's a classic. It is a classic. And I think uh, it's very fitting for today. Uh, because, you know, a lot of people don't seem to understand who Alice is. And it's quite important that we do. Because Alice played a very big role in things that have happened and will happen soon. So it... <laughs> It is very important. Allow me to find... I think I want to put the lyrics up for you guys. I think the lyrics are necessary too. So let's get that. It's lyrics. And there we go. All right. DJ Callum Jones. <laughs> His karaoke thing is going to help you guys read the words you're hearing. 
I don't know why she's leaving or where she's gonna go I guess she's got her reasons but I just don't wanna know Cause for 24 years I've been living next door to Alice Second glance, now I've got to get used to not living there.